0: You are now tuned in to episode 186 of the Sales Development Podcast, powered by 10 Bound, hosted by David Delaney. And for episode 186, David has David Lexner, Director of Business Development at Cornerstone On Demand, on the show. David kicks off the episode by asking David Lexner to share how his background in activism and calling government leaders led to his career in business development. An extremely interesting story and a quite unique journey that David's taken into the sales development world and he shares his experience in building out the team at Cornerstone. David has been at Cornerstone for 10 plus years and so he has vast experience on what it takes to really build out a successful team as you go through the episode david and david talk about the unique advantages and challenges of recruiting internationally and david talks about the importance of training and bringing up the right reps through the ranks this is a vital part of the podcast episode where anybody interested in selling into the european market should definitely get out their pens and pads And David continues on and he touches on how he manages the internal relationships and gives great tips on how he navigates through different needs from his colleagues in different regions of Europe and how he manages all of those complicated relationships to ultimately see success. The episode wraps up. David and David are touching on the unique and layered opportunity of selling into the international market. Again, if you have any inclination we want any information, a great starter place. If you're looking to get going, selling into an international market, this is a fantastic episode to tune into with David Lexner, director of Biz Dev at Cornerstone On Demand. As always, if you enjoy the episode, leave us a review, head over to 10bound.com and enjoy episode 186 of the Sales Development Podcast.
1: Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am joined from across the sea. This is very exciting. It's an international podcast today with Mr. David Lexner, Director of Business Development at Cornerstone On Demand. David, thanks for staying up and jumping on.
2: I'm so excited to be with you.
1: Yeah, you know, we reached out over LinkedIn and you raised a great point, which I want to really dive into on the podcast David, tell us about yourself. How did you get into sales development and end up running this very complex organization at Cornerstone On Demand?
2: So I guess it all started off of my studies when I joined an organization called Israel Action Center. I was actually born in Denmark and moved to Israel when I was 18 and studied here. And I then joined the Israel Action Center um, kind of because I was interested in, in activism and you know promoting Israel. And these were all like these crazy activists that were demonstrating around. And I thought it was fun. And I met this crazy lady, British lady called Doreen Gainsford, who was obsessed with this. And she became my manager and also my mentor. And I think she was the one that taught me the world of calling. Listen, I remember the first day getting in there and, you know, it was kind of an slash office manager marketing position. It wasn't really defined. It was a small organization. And I get into the office and there's three phones on my table. And, you know, I remember thinking to myself, what do I need three phones for, right? I can do with one. I soon figured out that I couldn't do with one because we were, you know, we would be calling the same people, you know, the same gatekeepers from three different phones at the same time, just trying various approaches. It was crazy. And, you know, because, you know, part of the job was, was to lobby these parliament members in, in, around Europe. And her, you know, her rule was, you know, there is nobody you cannot get on the phone. Everybody can be reached on the phone, you know. And she taught me and no is not a no, right? And no is just a proof that the person you're trying to speak to is not convinced yet. And, you know, I really like that, right? And it was all a matter of driving people crazy and tearing down walls and getting to speak to people. And it was tough, but it was a great learning experience.
1: Wow. That is so much different. Than, I mean, just the vibe right now has kind of swung, swung back to being very strategic and surgical and personal and, you know, all this stuff. And it's kind of funny to hear because, you know, if you've been around for a long time, that was how things were, you know, back in the day. It was just like, you know, you're, you're your reminding head,
2: you know. me how old I am. Oh <laughs> <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> <Me too. laughs>
1: but it was fun, you know, if you, if you had the right attitude about it. So, okay, so this this lady made a big impact on you. And then how did you transition to the tech industry and doing this?
2: So I had a number of experiences as a sales manager, um, or as an account executive, both in the Israeli Chamber of Commerce. And then I went into a startup selling fleet management. That's when I kind of got to know the software world. And from there on, I moved into Cornerstone on Demand. And it was quite funny. I moved to Cornerstone on Demand like 10 years ago, and when, when I joined, we were, I think, four people in the team. And the intention was kind of for me to take over that team. But I insisted, you know, since it was four people, I insisted taking a territory on myself because I really wanted to learn the job myself. So I'm originally from Denmark and I took over Scandinavia and started calling, and calling into the Scandinavian market. And I did that for about a year. And then we started simply building out that team. And growth was crazy. So in those 10 years, we built from those four to more than 20 reps today, doing only EMEA. So we have an equivalent team in the US. Cornerstone on Demand is an American company selling, and developing HR software. And we are, you know, probably the biggest company that does only that, you know, that does people software specifically. And we have an equivalent team in the U.S. And then we have the EMEA prospecting team, which I have managed ever since and built up ever since. And we're building out with more reps and more responsibilities, moving into inside sales, et cetera.
1: Okay. Wow. All right. So, um, you know, familiar with the company and I mean, you really got in right on the ground floor. I, I like how you came in and started you know, doing the job so that you could, you know, get familiar with the market and not just running the team, you know, without that familiarity. And you focused on the EMEA market. So, you know, what have you learned, you know, for, you know, American audiences or folks who are interested in prospecting to EMEA? How is it unique in your eyes? And, you know, what have you learned from doing that?
2: So as you know, when you take over a team like this, the most important thing is to be able to scale. Now, the challenges of scaling in EMEA, I would say are in three different levels. You have the language level, and that's the simplistic level, but it brings in a lot of complexity. The fact is that every single country in Europe talks a different language. Now, it might be that a lot of those companies will be able to communicate in English, But if you want to build a relationship and you want to build their trust with that company, you need to be able to speak their language. And that's not only the language of speaking the words and the language that they're used to speak, but it's also speaking their cultural language. Being able to pick up the phone to UK director and speak about football in speaking to the Danish director about something going on in Denmark right now about the weather in Denmark, which is completely different, by the way, from the weather in Spain and Italy. So that cultural aspect is huge as well. So you have languages, you have cultural differences, and then you have legal differences, which is a whole complexity of itself. Legally, meaning that both from a solution perspective, from a selling perspective, there are different needs in each of the various markets. So for instance, in the industry that we are in, compliance is a big thing, but the compliance regulations are completely different from market to market. But then there are differences in data privacy rules. So there are certain regulations of when you're allowed to save a contact's details And those can vary from market to market. Right now, my SDRs and BDRs cannot save research and save contact people in Italy and in Germany without getting the approval of the prospect itself. They're not allowed to save the information in Salesforce. So what we have to do is we have to first call the people and ask them whether they're ready to engage with us before we even get them, add them to our CRM. While in other markets, we don't have those limitations, but we have other limitations. For instance, that you have to send an email 48 hours after you add them to the CRM system. Now, what, how would your prospects feel if you, you suddenly receive a mail saying, hey, you know, this is from Cornerstone. We just added you to our selling database. <laughs> but nobody ever spoke to them, right? So there's so much complexity. And I think, you know, and maybe that's where we should start. If there's one thing that I, I've learned is in, and I think, I don't know who, who came up with the term. I think the first time I heard it was from the manager of Coralstone Europe. It's called Vincent Bellevue. He's, by the way, Canadian, which is a good mixture because that's both French and English. So he said, in Europe, you need to be local. And I love that term, right? It's really a matter of, yes, you need to be global at one level and you need to be able to scale globally, but you need to appear locally. So the feeling of the company that you speak to and the prospect you speak to needs to be a feeling of them speaking to somebody that is an expert in their local market, that has value to bring them at their local market with their local challenges. And that brings in, huge challenges and a lot of complexity, both when it comes to building the teams, building the structures, building incentives that make sense, building career paths within the team. It makes complexity when building messages, pitches, equal email sequences, because that messaging needs to be very, very country specific. And it brings complexity at the legal le- level on what you're allowed to do, how you like to treat your reps, where you're allowed to record calls, et cetera, et cetera.
1: So where do you start with this? Because it seems like you would need one person, at least one person on the team who's local. you know, <laughs> <laughs> who's a, sort of but, almost like a subject matter expert for each specific country. So is that how you think about putting your team together, you, you need sort of almost like a country expert in, in each seat? Or do you have people managing multiple countries, so, you know, because there's multiple countries in the MIA?
2: So when we started, we had the people covering more countries. So typically, you would have a UK English speaker covering the UK and the Scandinavians. So the Northern European countries, you could have one person covering the Central Europe countries, including the German-speaking Eastern Europe. And then you would have people focusing on the southern part of Europe. And you wouldn't usually need at least two people because you need a French speaker and then somebody that can speak Italian and Spanish, which are similar languages and can therefore often be handled by one person who can also understand. Also culturally, those, those are close, connected countries. However, it's not optimal to do it now. And you actually need people from those countries that has experience with that, you know, mentality and with the language to call into those specific countries. And, and you know, today my team is big enough for me to have various people speaking those various languages and actually coming from those cultures. And by the way, which is why Tel Aviv is a great place to have a team like this, because in Tel Aviv, you have... A lot of language speakers that are, you know, high educational level, highly motivated because a lot of these people, they don't speak Hebrew. So they can't get a job in Israel if they don't, you know, speak foreign languages, right? So this is a perfect environment. We've, we've always, you know, we've, the team is almost a family for these guys, right? They've come to Israel by themselves. They don't have family in Israel. And I often find myself, you know, checking people's phone bills or their lease contracts or whatever, because my Hebrew is better than theirs. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, that's okay. a part of the family environment. But I guess the real global guy is me. So I'm the one that kind of gets everything together, right? And I understand where we can scale. I also speak quite a few languages. So, you know, I speak Danish, Swedish, Norwegian, Hebrew, English. I speak a bit of French and a bit of German. So I can kind of catch up on conversations everywhere. I wouldn't say that I can handle business conversations in all those languages. But that in itself, imagine that in itself is a challenge. How do you train people? in a language that you don't speak, you know, how do I make a mock call in French?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so you hire locally for, I mean, they're in Tel Aviv. And do you have a remote team as well? That's on the ground in those
2: countries? So 90% of my team is based in Tel Aviv. The reason we decided to do that is we found a lot of value in having the S3R team based in one Place where they can drive each other and learn from each other's experience. We have seen examples of having SDRs locally based, and they have it, have it hasn't been a great success because they were left by themselves. And it's a tough job. You know that better than anybody else. It's a tough job to do on your own, and you know you need to kind of get into the wipe of hearing other people picking up the phone and doing things and sharing best practices. So it made a lot of sense to put it in one place. But I must say, in Europe there are different models and we have some of our biggest competitors out there are doing things differently from us and they have local teams sitting with together with the local sales teams in the local sales offices and that has its challenges but it definitely has its advantages as well
1: okay yeah cuz you know if you need a italian speaker for example you know and that's got to be a tricky recruiting problem for Tel Aviv, or is it not? I mean, are there enough people, you know, it's, it's such an international place that you can find people to do that.
2: So Tel Aviv is an international hub and we have a lot of language speakers, but obviously you can find more Italian speakers in Italy than you can find in Tel Aviv, no question about it. <laughs> so we often have to, have to compromise and we have to build people. And so often we get people in with very little experience that we need to train up from scratch. But then what you have to think is also in terms of career, career development, it's very limited what we can offer because I cannot necessarily move, you know, German BDR to become a team leader for the French team, right? Doesn't make any sense. And, you know, and then when I'm based in Tel Aviv, I'm also limited in moving people into the sales roles because my sales roles are locally based. So when you build the team, you have to build it very differently. And that, if I compared with the cornerstone US team, the US prospecting team that we have, we have, it's much more important for us to retain people over time because we don't have much career development. We can't bring them into other roles. So our incentive structure is different. We, for instance, we don't want to cap incentives. A lot of SDR roles are capped on the MBO because when they reach that and they keep hitting their goals, they'll move on to an AE AE position, right? I can't give that. So I want them to have an unlimited earning potential that will grow over time. And I actually have BDRs in my team that have been with me for three, four years already, which is quite unique. But I think it's pretty important when you create these teams in Europe that you create them as careers and not just as entry roles. You'll still see the turnover, but you will have to focus on keeping people. I would say, you know, if I cannot keep a person in the role for 24 months, then I probably shouldn't hire him in the first place.
1: Yeah. And so the expectation is when they're thinking about this, you know taking this opportunity with you it's that you're they're going to be the expert in this in this country they're going to learn the prospecting skills that they need to be successful and this could be a job as long as they're being productive right in in the job i mean they, do you have the ability where they could just become a a subject matter expert in the one country and and stay in that position as long as they they want to?
2: That's exactly what's happening. And as long as they're driven, I wanna keep them. Now there is a limit to how long you can keep them driven over a long time, but no question about it. And I have great BDrs that have been with me for so long in those specific markets and they know their markets in and out. They know the target companies, they know the, the mentalities, they know the legal requirements of those markets. They often onboard The local AEs, right? They onboard them when they come in because they have all the legacy history, right? And they can tell them what's going on. So they become key players and not just this entry role of kind of becoming sales rep later down the line. So that's exciting in itself. But then you also have to remember that languages in itself brings a lot of complexity, not only in terms of building the teams, but also let's say a marketing campaign or a prospecting campaign, you can't just share them across markets. So I need very engaged reps that can do a lot of the marketing themselves they can do some of the translation themselves. And we have, you know, I have crazy stories, you know, about, I remember when I started, we had a UK BDR that wanted to use a French campaign in the UK. And he took something that the French BDR created and, you know, tried to translate that that into English. And it just became all wrong because some of those words in French was just not, you know, they didn't go in English, right? In French, learning is called formation, but formation in English is something completely different. In French, HR is called RH, and this guy was new. The UK guy was new, and he wrote, "Oh, it says RH. I'm going to write RH as well, right?" So oh. <laughs> it became it became such a such a mess. So so oh. to have those okay. those experts that are there for a long time really means a lot to the business.
1: And so, how do you stay up to date with all the the changes, you know, especially on the legal side. But I would assume that there's also trends in, in prospecting and, you know, the effectiveness of the messaging and, you know, what's happening. Is it the duty of the SDR or BDR who's in charge of that country to stay on top of those, or is that something that you're working to help them to make sure that they're, you know, up to date?
2: we we obviously work very very closely both with our marketing team and with our sales team and with our sales operations team to kind of get all that information gathered but the bdrs themselves are you know i am expecting my bdrs to pick their territory up as their baby now because it's theirs right and they're probably the only ones working in those, those markets or maybe they work with one other person in that country right they're the king They're the king of the the country. Right. And if you're the king, yeah, then you need to know everything that is to know. And that has it. I must say that has its backsides as well, because they're teaching me about how to do prospecting in those countries. Right. (laughs) So when we do training and I say, you know what, why don't you do this? the German BDR would come to me and say, oh, that will never work in Germany, right? That will never work, right? <laughs> yeah. We have this sharing of best practices and I have this UK BDR that are sharing these, you know, to his prospects in the third email without response, he's sharing these cute, you know, GIF pictures of dogs that are really sad for not getting an answered. They're really cute and he get responses from them. <laughs> and, you know, we had this would sharing never work practice in Germany. that I just... I just saw the, you know, I saw the faces of the French and the German. They were like, what? You, you
1: know, me. in Germany,
2: yeah. you have to understand in Germany, you can't call people by their first name, right? You, you only say, Herr and Frau, right? Herr, Miller, Frau, or whatever. So, you know, to uh, throw them <laughs> a doggy gif, <laughs> I'm not sure that. <laughs> so what so, do you, what do you
1: do in that case? If you're training I mean, you said it, you're essentially running 10 different SDR teams, you know, and each team has one person. So if they come to you and they go, that might work in the UK, but that would never work in Germany, how do you train them?
2: So it's a matter of getting the balance right. And they have a, lear- a lot to teach me about their local cultures. What I need to teach them is to go beyond their local cultures, at least what they think other local cultures i have this rule that when you prospect you always feel more uncomfortable than the person you speak to and you know the question always comes up how far should i push how far should i go right my rule is always get to the line where you don't feel comfortable anymore and then move one step forward right i think that works very well in each markets right and it might be that the german bdr will feel a bit uncomfortable before the Scandinavian BDR, and he will then only take that one step ahead, right? So I think that, that is a good finger rule to have. But you also, you also have to give them space because they often know their mentality and their country and their language better than you do. And you have to be careful teaching them something that you don't really know about. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Danes and Swedes and Norwegians Love giving out mobile phone numbers. You will be amazed, but you're calling up, you know, switchboards and you're asking, can I speak to this person? No, I'm sorry, he's not available, but let me give you your mo- his mobile number. You don't even have to ask for it. It's pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> wow, that's amazing.
2: And then you call a UK switchboard. The wow, UK and Denmark, it's about, an, you know, it's a 45 minute flight. They're very, very close to each other. You call the UK they won't pass your call through. They will tell you, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to pass any call through. Why don't you send an email to info right? <laughs> at You know, So it's, it's completely different. And they are dealing with completely different challenges than the Scandinavians. That doesn't necessarily mean that prospecting in Scandinavia is easier because if I got the mobile number, then all my competitors got their mobile numbers as well. <laughs> now what <are> so you? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make it easier. So you need to know, A, that they know their markets well. But secondly, you need to bring them added value and need to push them. So when somebody comes back and says, that will never work in my market, I'm always being very appreciative. But on the other hand, I will push them and say, try it. Try it once, try it twice. Maybe we'll be surprised.
1: Yeah, you look at things more of a universal human level versus, you know, just the, you know, cultural aspects of what, what the person's telling you. I like that. That's really great advice to get to the point where you're feeling uncomfortable and then go one step further. That's great for anybody, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not, not just the, the BDRs. So looking at it from a management perspective, so, you know, the business comes to you, the executives, they want the pipeline, they want the numbers, you know, it's culture schmulcher, like, <laughs> I don't care, or you know, we care about it, but it's like, just give me the numbers, David, you know? So how do you manage all these different SDR teams and BDR teams in different countries from a, you know, high level metrics perspective? and And when do you know if things are starting to go downhill and you have to you know make a change.
2: So great question because there are so much complexity at that level as well. Because my business is not just to get a pipeline number. My business is to have enough pipeline in Germany and have enough pipeline in France and have enough pipeline in the UK. And each of those VPs will come and hit me with a stick if I don't get Ugh. whatever they need, right? And I could be doing That's my awesome. overall number by 200%, but be lacking in the UK and I wouldn't be doing my job. Oh so, my wow. <laughs> so I'm How what I'm deal trying with that? to do is I'm... I'm trying to keep a very close relationship with the regional leaders and understand exactly what are their requirements. Because it's not only a matter of the specific number they need, but it's also a matter of what is behind that number. And since each of these countries, you know, work at a different pace, you know, it could be that in one country you have a sales cycle that traditionally would take three to six months while in another, country, it could take 12 to 24 months, right? Just out of a cultural perspective, especially now with COVID-19, you have certain countries that are very affected, and then you have certain countries that are not affected at all. So the pace in each of these countries is very different. You need to understand that. You need to understand the expectations from the regional leaders, which is why that both at my level, but even down to the rep BDR level, there need to be a very, very close relationship between the local reps and the business development team. And my teams are keeping that ongoing communication. So I there is, you know, I know on the market you have you have sales development teams that are very disconnected from the sales teams, and you have sales that are connected, you know, sales teams that are extremely connected. I would say we are more than extremely connected because you need to be that. You need to be smelling the local. The local smell all the time and feeling what's going on in the market in order to understand what is the product that eventually you need to deliver.
1: And so it sounds like the relationship that you have with the, each of these leaders is really important. And you know, if you're dealing with someone who's never satisfied with what you're doing, you know, how do you deal with that? <laughs> because I could see if you've got ten different you know VPs and they're all stressed out in their own different way and. I know that sales development a lot of times becomes the finger pointing department, you know, it's, it's all their fault that we don't have the pipeline and stuff like that. Do you ever have to deal with that? And how do you keep that relationship? positive
2: it's like that in europe as well you know
1: okay. I mean? <laughs> <So> <laughs> that translates think, across the i
2: don't think i've ever had a vp of sales or a, a regional vp of sales telling me i have enough pipeline don't give me any more pipeline, right
1: <laughs> stop <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, yes, it's like this. And we get that occasionally. And, you know, and I would say they all want more, right? And they all want more rep. And they're all coming to me and say, hey, you know, the Spanish team is doing really well. Why don't you take one of those headcounts and move it to the German speaking team, right? And that's where I, I, again, I'm the local guy, right? I'm the guy that sits with each of them, but also has a relationship with the European VP, And I can get that level of business understand that, yes, it might be that we're currently doing really well in Spain, but the Spanish target is lower compared to the French target to begin with, right? So if I'm doing 150% of my number in Spain, that doesn't mean that the business overall is very well aligned and I still need to focus in Spain in order to make up for my number in another place, whatever, I have some very hot deals and that's a strong market at the moment. So I really need, and that's again where the leadership comes, comes into the picture because the local BDR teams won't get that, right? And they have in, you know internal competitions as well. But I need to step in and say, okay, no, I I need this headcount in this, in this market. That is our growth market, or that is where we believe that in the coming quarter, in the coming two quarters, we'll see most opportunity. But also think about it strategically, because I can't keep it at the tactical level, because I simply don't have that flexibility of moving people from team to team. It's not moving people from public sector to enterprise or to mid market, right? It's moving somebody from speaking French to speaking German, right? Exactly. So it's strategic decisions. And when I make those strategic decisions, I potentially would need to get rid of somebody and hire somebody new. And, you know, a
1: lot of times, and maybe this is just around here, but suddenly, you know, the VP of sales in some region will become an expert in sales development, you know, and and they'll come and have all the answers of what to do and why you should do it and stuff like that. And, you know, do you ever have to deal with that type of situation? And, you know, how do you manage that relationship?
2: So it brings me a bit back to my reps coming back to me and telling me, this will never work in my market, right? Because I get that from the VPs as well, right? Okay. And I sometimes <laughs> and I sometimes Man. encourage I sometimes encourage my BDrs to do crazy things, right? And I the feedback from the field is like, are you sure, right? Do you really want to? You want to send an email like this? And this is and so again, I think it's a matter of building the trust. At the personal level, with those regional leaders, and I think that's something that any BDR manager should take in. Really, it's a, it's a matter of them seeing that you care about their business, and you understand the complexity, and that you understand, you understand that when you do take risk, you have thought about it, in a, you know, and you've thought about the risk that is involved in the messaging that you bring, that is involved in the tools that you use, and you understand when to test and when to hold back. And it's a matter of being a good listener, right? And I think that is probably a good message to, to any BDR, right, and to any BDR manager, right? I'm always telling my, my BDRs, it's not a coincidence that we were born with two ears and one mouth, right? <laughs> We should probably be listening double as much as we're talking.
1: Oh, boy. Another another great <laughs> piece of advice. <laughs> Being very patient with these people because you're an expert in sales development. And you've been doing this for a long time. And you're looking at things very strategically and carefully. And suddenly now this non-expert is telling you how to do your job. And it's like, okay, let's hear them out. Be patient. <laughs> explain what we're doing and we'll get it back on track. Question for you, the data, you know, you touched on this, but it's very complex, right? In the uh, European Union, each country has its own rules and you, you know, you have to ask for permission. How do you think about supplying data to the teams in a way that's compliant and, you know, plays by the rules and is yet effective in setting, you know, appointments?
2: So there are two levels of it. There's the legal level, and then there's a the more practical process level. So at the legal level, um, Europe introduced about five years ago GDPR rules, which are basically privacy regulations on what data you're allowed to store in your CRM systems. I mean, they're different from country to country, and some of them are pan-European, some of them are very specific. I've worked when those laws were introduced, I've worked very, very closely with our legal teams in order to understand those, with our marketing teams and sales operations teams in order to get our CRM system optimized to kind of fulfill those requirements and for us to stay compliant. And then I worked with my team in order for the BDRs to understand, right? Because the BDR just wants to get out there and talk to people, right? And suddenly I'm coming and I'm limiting them and telling them, no, you can't store and you can't you know, call and you can't email this person, right? And we have, if you look in, into our CRM, CRM system, you'll see these crazy, you, know, you enter a contact, you'll see this crazy item saying, like an envelope with a big red, you know, <laughs> red sign on it, you know, don't email this person, right? <laughs> and I occasionally get, you know, phone calls from, from our legal officer telling me that, hey, we have this, this person complaining about him receiving an email or receiving a phone call from the BDRs. And then we need to work together and figure out. And, and I'm happy to say that we usually figure it out. We usually figure it out. And it's a situation that's pretty new. I think it was only five years ago that they were introduced so we usually figure out how to do it and we still optimize together with the sales operations team. So that is, that is at the legal level. But then at the more practical process level, it's not that easy because my French BDRs are taking notes in Salesforce in French. My Spanish BDRs are taking notes in Spanish, right? For me or for senior management later to look in and get you know, understanding of what's going on in those accounts can be challenging. Add to that that the way that the European market is expanding and is evolving over time is usually through merges and acquisitions across countries. So what used to be, what used to be a Spanish company or Spanish headquartered company yesterday is now a German headquartered company. Now who owns that company? Who is allowed to prospect into it? right? Is that the Spanish people? And who can read the information? So it's it's difficult. We have set a rule that the BDR language is English, but I'm still allowing my people to take notes about specific accounts and prospecting information in their local languages because they will mainly be read by the local reps that are supposed to know their languages, those languages. However, All, you know, internal communication is in English and, you know, we try to keep that across board so that everybody understands what's going on in the accounts and what's going on with the deals. But it's not necessarily that easy.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. I feel like talking to you, you, you have to, you're like a guy with like five plates on sticks, you know, they're all spinning at the same time and,
2: <laughs> you know, make it 10. But that's that's the fun of it, really. That is the fun yeah. of it. It's a lot of okay. things. But I think it makes the role that much more exciting. And I think the BDRs really understand the key role that they have in their markets, right? Yeah. Which makes them more devoted to the business. They're engaged. They're engaged in their local market. They're engaged in marketing because they understand it better than anybody else in the business.
1: Yeah, they're the master of that domain. and <laughs> Very valuable. So, well, this has been great, David. I mean, this really gives people a roadmap. Hopefully we don't scare people. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I told you when you first got on, if people ask me about this, I just say, just outsource, outsource.
2: <laughs> like just... Now you'll definitely tell them to outsource it. No. Well,
1: I mean, I... I think for the right leader you know someone like you know like you who who can spin all these plates and has fun you know doing it i know it's not always fun but you know it considers it a challenge it's just an amazing interesting opportunity and there's probably a lot of you know unlocked value for american companies who haven't tried to do this because they're just intimidated you know by the complexity so
2: right. yeah and i'll, we I'll, I'll maybe finish i'll maybe finish up by saying listen It is complicated, but if you have the resources to do it, it is so much more effective than going third party. I've had experience with third parties in EMEA. Because of the complexity, they meet the same complexity as everybody else. They will need to align their messages with the specific markets, align their languages, deal with legal issues, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't know your business. You at least know your business. And if you have the necessary resources, I would probably take that path while understanding that you have to compromise on other things. You know, we cannot have an inbound and outbound team because I don't have enough people in the various languages to split up, right? So so it's a give and take. It's a give and take. But if you have the resources, it can be very productive. And it's definitely fun. It's a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, you've been there for 10 years, you said?
2: Right. That's crazy, yeah.
1: I mean, that's that's very rare these days and very valuable to the company. I mean, we say, you know where all the bodies are buried, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of a morbid
2: thing. But, you know, (laughs) it's it's just
1: having that, that institutional history and being around for that long. It's an amazing run. So, David, thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing your knowledge. If folks would like to connect with you, or learn more about this topic, what's the best way to get in touch?
2: So I'm big on big on LinkedIn. You know, you can just find me, David Lexner on LinkedIn, or simply contact Cornerstone and the Man, they'll know how to find me.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show, and we'll do it again soon.
2: We'll love to, we'll love to. I love everything you do.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100 percent focused and dedicated to sales development, with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.